What's up, party people? It's me, it's Sean Grigsby, and you're listening to Cosmic Dragon. And uh, today we are talking to Brian Manser, who has a book with Athon. And uh, if you haven't heard the previous episode, we actually interviewed Athon Books. And uh, yeah, so this all kind of gelled together. Happenstancely. I don't think that's a word, but let's keep going. So before we jump into the interview... I want to let you know about my stuff, because, let's face it, I have a captive audience. So, I wrote Smoke Eaters, which is out from Angry Robot Books, and that is about firefighters versus dragons in the future. It's not cheesy. It's action-packed, but it has a lot of heart, and it's funny, and it's awesome. It's a uh, Publisher's Weekly star-reviewed book, which is a high honor, if you don't know. And, uh, also... It is uh, recommended for the British Fantasy Award, which is awesome. I'm also up for uh, Best Newcomer, which is really cool. And I'm going to have to find a way to get to Glasgow if, if I make the list. So we'll see. The uh, sequel to Smoke Eaters is Ash Kickers, and that comes out July 9th of this year, 2019. If you're listening in 2021 or something. And uh, also, Daughters of Forgotten Light is out. That came out back in September. That is a grindhousey, exploitation-y, you know, like the old films from the late 70s, early 80s. That vibe, like the Warriors. God, I love the Warriors. It's, it's very violent, very, very awesome, very uh, woman-powered. All the characters are women. And uh, I've obviously talk too much about myself. So let's jump into the interview with Brian Manser. Where where are you where are you living at? Where where you, where do you do your writing? Uh, so I uh, and I'll, I'll just have to read right off of my uh, little bio here because I forget it myself. I, I forget <laughs> where I'm at. Uh, I'm, there's there's still an LT in me somewhere. Oh yeah. Uh, just just because you get that second bar doesn't mean you stop being an LT in some way. Right. So uh, I live in the Enchanted Plains of Iowa. Ah, uh, okay. I've got some family up there. Ah, uh, around Osceola, uh, my stepfather's oh, family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've we've had uh, had some in laws that came from that area. Um, I'm in the Des Moines area now. Okay, not too far from Osceola. I want to say like what thirty minutes, maybe an hour. A thirty yeah. minute drive. Yeah, yeah. not too far. I saw Toy Story in theaters in, in Des Moines uh, one Christmas. Okay. <laughs> that's, like, that's like really all we did over there. Um, awesome. So you are a – now, are you still in the Army or are you retired? Oh, I'm National Guard. Um, oh, okay. For seven and a half years. Nice. And you write military science fiction. Yeah, coincidence. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, that's – Let's be honest, a lot of uh, military folk who love books uh, and become writers themselves write military science fiction. It's just, you know, it's there. It's like with me and being a firefighter, eventually I had to write a book about firefighters. Um, so you're with uh, Athon Books, who we actually uh, interviewed not too long ago, uh, both uh, Rhett and uh, Jamie, who goes by another name. Uh, but I forget <laughs> who actually uh, uh, introduced. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, th that's how I got in touch with you. And uh, so tell us about your experience. Now, the, the, the first book 
that you have with them, and your debut is Captive Embers. Yes, yes. Okay. I'm glad I got that right this time. And uh, the second book is Captive Shadows. Now, is Captive Shadows out yet? No, oh, no, no. I'm uh, I'm knocking on the door to 75,000 words on the first draft. So Cool. Uh, there's, there's a ways to go on it. Uh, what's your I'll, goal? Uh... Word count wise, or <laughs> yeah, word. Obviously, you want to finish it, but yeah, yeah. Word, word count wise, what, what where do you generally like to uh, to go? The, the first draft of Captive Embers, uh, the the gosh awful mess that it began as was one hundred and thirty thousand words. Uh, I whittled that down, whittled it down some more. Finally, got it to Athon, a developmental editor. We got it down to ninety thousand, roughly just to tick under that. So if the final product is that, I'll be very pleased. Um, my, my personal goal is that we have it uh, packaged, uh, ready to go by this time next year. Uh, I think with all the stuff I've got going on, that's uh, probably the most realistic scenario. I am just not that fast of a writer yet. Book one took me seven years. Holy from, cow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took me a lot of time. And that, a lot of that was simply because I didn't know how to write efficiently. Uh, I did not follow the advice that folks gave me, which was just get the first draft out on paper, get it done, and then you start reworking it. No, I had to polish the chrome as I went along, chapter by chapter. That's not the way to do it. Don't do that. Well, I mean, and the other end of that spectrum is like me, and I just blast through it and go, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Isaac, it works. I don't need to change anything. It worked for Isaac Asimov. That's oh, he did, did he, is that how he did it? He did it. it it's it's in his uh, little spiels about how he wrote. No kidding. He just said, ah, I just assumed that it was perfect the first time I wrote it. I mean, yeah, I do go back and I fix some stuff or I add some stuff. But, like, I don't like that whole major overhauling mess. I mean, if an agent or editor tells me I should and I agree with it, all right, cool, let's do some work. But, yeah, I don't I – don't, I'm not uh, – are you an outliner? Are you a pantser? How do you how do you approach it? I'm a mix of both. I get a general outline put together, so I know roughly what is happening in Captive Embers. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Captive Shadows, for example, as I'm writing it. I know where I want the endpoint to be, or more precisely, I have a selection of endpoints where I'd be, you know, fine if it stopped at this stage, and be fine if it stopped at this stage. You know, have the option of of pushing some bits into the next book or dropping them all together. And and the rest of it, just I found time and time again writing Captive Embers that uh, there was just no way to be sure that I could keep to the outline because I would run into things that changed the game, uh, that changed uh, where the characters needed to be, what they needed to be doing, uh, simply because I had written such an intricate uh uh, rule system for, uh, I, I should probably give a little background to the book before I jump too far. Yeah. Into yeah. It. Give us, tell us about what the book's about. All right. Well, well the, uh, the premise is that the, uh, human kind has pretty much entered that technological singularity, at least after a fashion, a very broken version of it. All the nerds that we picked on as uh you know high school jocks i was one of the nerds um they they finally uh made their robots and took over everything 
So don't bully, don't bully the nerds. That's not a good plan. It's a great way to start the robo apocalypse. Um, the, uh, they take that, all that wonderful tech that they've got, uh, boost themselves up uh, into the status of transhumans, uh, where they, you know, got multi lobe brains and they, some of them decide to stick them all into squid like bodies so that they could keep them cooler and, and, uh, run their little computer programming, uh, that much more efficiently. And, uh, Along the way, there was a falling out with the rest of mankind, big war, big coal. Of course, we lost. And uh, as things got divvied up and as their uh, new order civilization started being put together, some of the, the uh, transhuman wardens, we'll call them, still had some empathetic roots left inside of them, still thought that it was a terrible thing that what had been done to the rest of mankind wanted to keep a remnant of them around. So they brokered a charter with the, uh, the rest of uh, the transhumans that they would keep uh, a reservation out in the, this is a real star system. Uh, Mu Eri is, was the name of the star system when in the catalogs, when I started writing the book, eventually Somewhere around midway through it, they gave it a proper name, Cervantes, after Don Quixote's uh, uh, the Don Quixote story. Yeah, and um, so I had to go and update all the names uh, that I and, and decided. No, I'm just going to keep my own <laughs> designations for the planets. I'm not going to call Rosinante Rosinante because there's kind of another space opera out there that has made taken that name over. Right. Um, but uh, so they they send a remnant of humanity off, and for a while things were nice, and then another transhuman comes along and takes over things, and under the loose terms of the charter, which was the best that could be brokered at the time, uh, they uh, uh, find out, well, okay, uh, all of a sudden things are not quite as nice as they used to be. Uh, humankind gets wiped out essentially uh, multiple occasions within the star system uh, ends up being built up from the ground up. And so one, one cycle to the next doesn't really have much information on what happened before. And they've in fact completely forgotten as a society about the charter. And all they know is that their lives are rather constrained to these uh, cylindrical space colonies uh, that are 100 kilometers long, uh, 10 kilometers wide at, at best. Some of them are smaller. Uh, but there's, you know, uh, three real planets in this star system, and they've got all these colonies uh, that uh, float around them, say about a dozen or so uh, around each of these major planets. And uh, this last iteration, uh, the humans were raised up in classic mid-21st century, 22nd century uh, ethnic groups. And so you have Texans in space. You have Indians uh, from East Asia Indians in space. You have uh, Hispanics. You have um, you know, a mix of uh, various other. You have British folks there. You have Middle Eastern groups. And you have the old tensions uh, being played out again in a star system-wide theater. And the story opens with 
a guy named Rafe Hastings from the Myconian fleet, which is uh, the Western powers kind of uh, descent. The guy speaks with an American accent. And uh, he spent several tours around uh, a gas giant named Belia, which is uh, home to a combination of uh, uh, Middle Eastern and uh, East Asian country uh, ethnicities. And he's been trying to keep the weapons traffickers from tearing the local space habitats apart. That's not been going so well. And he's, he's tired of it. And he's uh, discouraged. And he's ready to go home. Uh, he's ready to finish his tour and go back to his wife and two daughters when he gets a uh, word from an informant that, hey, I've got something I need to share with you. And he finds out uh, something that absolutely should not be under the rules of the system that they live under. Because, oh, by the way, I, I apologize for jumping around. There's just so many, so many moving pieces here. There's All the humans know is that these robots called wardens pretty much run their lives to a very large extent. The wardens tell them how, what kind of technologies they can have. They sell the technology to them. So if you want a ship, you got to buy it from the wardens. If you want a fancy computer, you got to buy it from the wardens. If you want to fly your ship anywhere, it's got to have an artificial intelligence that is programmed and run by the wardens. And no, you're not even allowed to know how the programming works. You're not even allowed to learn programming at all as a human being. And if you break any of these warden code items, that bare minimum, the punishment is going to be very painful. And more often uh, than not, it's going to be excruciatingly, graphically, gruesomely uh, horrible for you and uh, potentially other members of your family and friends, depending Mm. upon how severe the, the violation is. And so every year, uh, there's a, a mandatory broadcast that everybody has to watch. Somebody getting flayed alive, and uh, <laughs> like a safety presentation. Don't oh, let yeah. this be you. Yeah, exactly. You know that that whole little FedNet thing from Starship Troopers. Man <laughs> was caught today and tried for murder. Execution tonight. All channels. Right. So. I kind of like that whole dystopian uh, uh, vibe. You know, to the point where it's uh, very. Uh, tongue-in-cheek and very uh, satirical. I kind of like that thing. I thought the the movie Starship Troopers was a little much, uh, having looked back on it. Even when I was a kid and watched it, I was like, something, this tastes funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like some things have a vibe to them. Uh, But your book sounds awesome and very, very detailed and very, I mean, it took you seven years to write it. Um, So how do you approach the world building? Because you kind of told me, how you do writing. So was it kind of like a, as you wrote the world built upon itself, that's kind of how I do it. Or was it some, go ahead. First I find a wall and I bang my head against it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, everybody does that. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) oh man. So, uh, the, the way that I did the world building is I, I, I knew that I wanted to write something that was a believable stories um, as, as close to a hard science fiction novel as I could get it without it being a hard science fiction novel without, you know, pinning myself necessarily to hard numbers and turning it into the Martian before I ever knew what the Martian was. Um, so I knew I didn't want things like faster than light travel uh, or uh, matter transporter or even um, uh, uploading the brain. Aliens do not figure into the story at, at this stage, and, and at present, I don't have plans for it. But uh, you know, I, I wanted it to to 
have the ability to have those uh, nice classic uh let's have some space wars going on here let's have fleets clash let's have space marines i wanted all that and what i ran into as i was trying to put that story together was i realized hmm as technology marches on i can't figure out a way to avoid it from avoid it having that technological singularity happen where all that stuff becomes obsolete and you take man out of the equation and all it becomes is computers fighting one another. Right. So I came up with wardens. And uh, the wardens are, are the ones who keep things in, in this static level of technology. And then I thought, you know what, let's have a little bit more fun with it and let's put somebody to torture all of humanity with that. And, and basically the story is, if I had to encapsulate it in, in one phrase... It is the Hunger Games in space, but <laughs> but writ large uh, across entire nations, as opposed to just you know twenty four tributes, right? Uh, and and it's not quite so formal, uh, but that is essentially what is going on: is that there is a, a a transhuman behind the scenes. I'm giving some stuff away, but it's it comes in fairly early in the book, right? Uh, that. Uh, uh, all of humanity is being poked with a stick and they know it to an extent, but there's not a whole heck of a lot they can do about it. Right. And so, you know, once Rafe learns that this uh, cartel boss named Lilith has uh, a weapon system that she shouldn't have that lets her uh, blow up entire colonies if she wants uh, with the warden's permission to use them, you know, they're, they're all of a sudden everybody's scrambling to uh, intercept where she sent all of these uh, weapons and cargo boxes. The battleship Tsunami goes out. There's a guy named uh, Sean Merrick aboard, and he's the British uh, accent that Scott Aiello in the audiobook uh, voices just amazingly. And uh, he, uh, the, the story indulges in a little bit of character building uh, earlier on. Uh, there's a nurse, Sarah Riley. Uh, the, they, they strike up a a friendship and you can see where things might be going with those two. And, uh, you know, then they get to the first mission where all heck breaks loose and he finds out that, uh, this green combat nurse who's barely ever fired her weapon, uh, is pretty much his only hope of surviving. And, uh, it, the story follows, follows how these three characters, uh, go through and, and cope with, World, literally world-shattering uh, events. But I think you had a question there that I probably didn't quite answer. That's all right. One I d failed to ask uh, is, how do you pronounce your last name? Oh, it's Manser. Okay, I just uh, wanted I'll to check. Like Necromancer, obviously not spelled the same. Yeah, yeah pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> close yeah. enough. Manser, Necromancer. So, uh, you know, the, I should have thought of that one and, and done fantasy. There you go. Hey, you can use pseudonym. Switch it over. There you go. There you go. So tell us how you came to be published with Athon Books. What was the process like? Uh, so I was at Captain's Career Course, and a uh, fine uh, lieutenant named Jordan tells me that, oh, hey, you've written a book. Cool. Uh, there's a guy that I went to school with named Rhett Bruno, and he writes science fiction. You should look him up. And I do. And we strike up an email conversation. And uh, somewhere along the way, you know, I'm looking at his stuff and, and uh, you know, I'm saying how impressed I was with it. And he asks 
you know, what would you think about uh, publishing with an independent publisher? And that that sticks in my head. And uh, a year later, we end up signing on. And uh, uh, that was uh, I, I could not be more grateful for the break that they gave me. Uh, Steve and, and Rhett are just two fantastic guys to work with. Uh, incredibly supportive. Uh, they they really are doing what they say they're out to do, which is to help independent authors get their stories out where you know traditional publishing might have otherwise passed on passed them over. I've been listening to uh, the the various many of the books that have been coming out of Athon. Um, I think everybody's favorite. I was listening to to your interview with Haley Stone mm-hmm. just uh, uh, before we started here, and uh, her "Make Me No Grave" story was hands down had to be tied for the top three books I read in 2018. It was just amazing uh, the the character driven. Uh, yarn that she had spun there, the authenticity of, of the old West, uh, that she had, that flavor that she had injected into the story. Just, it was an incredible top notch story that big publishing completely missed. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> very true. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it read just like any other big five publisher book, if not better. Um, uh-huh. I, I mean, I certainly was reading it because Haley's a friend, and it seemed interesting. But I, I'm also writing my own space fantasy revenge western, and I was like, "Well, I want to kind of read a bunch of westerns to get, you know, to get the vibe." I, I, I've built a habit to where I, I never imitate, but I, I absorb the uh, the vibe and the the atmosphere of it, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. I really liked the book, and a bunch of people agree with me. So. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that a lot of good books slip through the cracks just because either the publisher doesn't know how to market it or it's just not really their thing, yada, yada. But it, yeah, it's good that Athon uh, kind of swoops in and, and picks up good stuff. And and they're, you know, fantastic. With, Rhett's fantastic as a developmental editor. Uh, if, if you saw the first draft of the story versus uh, the final draft, uh, you can really see where we tightened things down. One of the, the best things that we saw in the reviews was people saying fast paced. And we're like, yes, because it was not when it, <laughs> when it first got to him. Right. We, we chopped out a lot. Very good. Well, uh, we're going to wrap things up sure. and I want to, uh, well, the, first of all, tell people where they can find you and your books. So I am at uh, Brian Manser, that's B-R-I-A-N-M-A-N-S-U-R dot WordPress dot com. Uh, so that's that's my home on the web. Uh, Athonbooks.com, of course, is uh, uh, probably an easier way to find uh, what's going on with me simply because they keep uh, all the author material there and you can see all the other books that they've got available Uh and uh, you can always uh, feel free to drop me a line. Uh, I'm easy to find on Facebook. And uh, my email address is brianmanser.author at gmail.com. So there's there's quite a, quite a number of ways to get at me. Awesome. So you're finishing up the second book. How many books do you have planned uh, in this world, in this series? Bare minimum of three. Uh, and, and it will depend upon, you know... We'll make those decisions as we come to them. We've already got the art for book two out. That's uh, there on my website. 
And uh, we have book three's cover art tentatively selected. It's been purchased, but whether or not we'll keep it for my book or not, we'll, we'll decide as uh, writing continues. But uh, I know that the story is going to take at least three novels to, to go through. And I'd love to see it go longer. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to rush it. Brian, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. Uh, I wish you, you a whole ton of success. Uh, the book sounds awesome. And uh, hey, you're more than welcome to come back later. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hope you have a great day.